Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, Episode 14, The Serpent's Venom. Yay. I didn't remember it. No. So going by the title, though, and how previous episodes have been titled, did you have an idea about who was involved in this episode? I didn't really think about it that far. I just figured it was a ghouled episode in general. Okay. Okay. That's as far as I put together. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Serpent stuff is usually ghouled stuff. Yes. Specifically Apophis stuff. Ah, in SG-1. Like you had Serpent's Lair within the Serpent's Grasp, you know, back in season two and stuff. So. Yeah. Serpent usually means Apophis. Well, now that you've that pointed that out to me, I'm going to realize <laughs> that it's definitely not something that I had put together on my own. Okay. I mean, there are episodes with Apophis that aren't called Serpent something, but he usually has, he, where, where Serpent, Serpent is mentioned, there he is. Yes, because his his Jaffa are the serpent guard. He, his symbol is the snake serpent. So, mm, yes. 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 Probably should have thought about that one a little harder before. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's not that big a deal. That's why we have these discussions. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. So shall we get into it? Yes, let's do. Okay. So this originally aired on September 29th. 2000, it was written by Peter DeLuise and directed by Martin Wood. And in the commentary, we have Martin Wood, Jim Menard, director of photography, and James Titchener, the visual effects supervisor. Cool. And in this episode, SG-1 travels to a remote interplanetary minefield to sabotage a hazardous alliance between two powerful Gould system lords. But their mission becomes far more dangerous when they realize Tilk has been captured by one of the system lords who plan to use him as a pawn in their evil negotiations. Oh, man. So it really seems like Peter DeLuise is kind of like the super fan they have on staff to be involved yeah, some capacity all the time to kind of provide that consistency. Yeah, he's right. He like he's writing really good stuff. Like, yeah, this is again, like I said last week, we might have to do a top four, top ten of season four because I love so many episodes this season. And this yeah. is another just really good one. And I yeah. think the way they did it where there's sort of these two independent stories going on and you don't realize how they're connected until more than halfway through the episode when they do come together. It's like, Oh, what? What? Yeah. 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 I like it. Yeah. And I, and Peter DeLuise is always at least credited as like creative consultant. Is it? Or something like that. I always see him pop up. So yeah. Yeah. He seems to be the consistent SG one guy at this point in time. He's the guy. He's the guy. And we like him. He's good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this episode opens on Chlock, and Tilk is back to try and sort of really get this whole Jaffa rebellion thing going. Uh, he's meeting with Makar and Raknor, who is played by the wonderful Obian Defo. Uh, I don't know if anybody out there remembers or if you heard, but uh, he was actually involved in a fairly serious car accident a few years ago when he was like, uh, like a hit and run by like a drunk driver uh, and ended up getting both of his legs amputated. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, he's fine. He's recovered. He was actually just recently in an episode of NCIS Los Angeles, but it was pretty horrific 
at the time, but he's oh, he's doing great and he's like wonderful in this and oh wow so yeah but he's all he's all he's all good so except for he's missing his legs now but you know well you know I did watch. I'm going to describe this poorly because it was a while ago, and <laughs> um, but it was a TED Talk where there was the wo- there was a woman giving a TED Talk who also I don't remember why, but she also did not have the bottom half of her legs, and mm-hmm. what she was discussing was actually like people's perception or immediate perceptions they make. So if she walks into a room and interacts with kids first and kind of describes, you know, her situation of like, yes, this happened to me, but like I get to wear fake legs and I get to wear like fun running legs and I can wear like do all this fun stuff. Then the kids are like, oh, so this, you know, it's bad, but not all bad, you know, like light at the end of the town. Like there's cool stuff you could do with fake legs. You can make yourself taller. You can wear like cheetah legs. You can like run <laughs> and all that stuff that she would present to them. Whereas if they had, you know, if another adult came in and was like, don't stare, don't, you know, make fun and kind of prep, like this is a bad thing that happened mm. to her. It's interesting that kind of perspective difference that you get in she she actually did work as a model, so she actually would get to wear some really awesome fake legs for her model shoots. So she like cool. really would get to wear like cheetah print legs or like you know <laughs> special made custom yeah. legs for her. It cool. was actually really cool. That does sound cool. <laughs> I know, right? So it's yeah. all just about you know how you how you deal with stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Tangent over. Okay. Well, that was a very interesting tent. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the interesting things here is that Ragnar has a very large scar on his forehead from where it looks like his Jaffa symbol has been removed in some fashion. Um, these two, Makar and Ragnar, do seem eager to help take down the ghoul, but there are many system lords out there who still fear Apophis, especially now that he's taken over like Sokar's territory and has this huge army at his disposal. They also bring up the whole thing about having to fight other Jaffa to try and win their freedom. But as Tilk points out, they already fight other Jaffa all the time on the order of their ghoul, their system lord, whoever they follow. So this time, though, it would be for a much more noble cause. The meeting does seem to be mostly about getting like Ragnar on their side. Like he's still a little iffy about this whole thing. Like Makar definitely wants to help Tilk and free the Jaffa and all that. Ragnar's a little... If iffy, but they want to bring him in because there's a lot of Jaffa who are loyal to Ragnar himself. Uh, so Tilk tells, tells them that there's a couple of other Jaffa who have agreed to meet with him at the Chamka Groves, and Ragnar's like, I'll be there too to put an end to the Jaffa rebellion. Oh my god, betrayal! So Ragnar calls out another Jaffa, enters the tent, shoots Tilk with the Zat as Ragnar yells, Shorva! <sighs> we cut to the opening credits. Uh, yeah, so Ragnar was there, like, under a ruse. He's he's not on the side of the Shafa Rebellion, and like, how dare he? And I, I know that, like, capturing Teal'c really was the end game, but I thought that was so classic amateur uh, going undercover, where once you, once you get in the face of, you know, the person you're trying to get to, you just all of a sudden go, ha ha! I... <laughs> I am, I am your enemy, not your ally. <laughs> instead of, instead of, you know, just keeping it cool. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll get you later when you least expect it. But yeah, uh, looks great on TV though. It does. It works really well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we come back from the opening credits at the SGC where there is an incoming wormhole, and we see Journal Hammond, Sam, and Jacob. Yay, Jacob's still there. We hurry down into the control room. And according to the commentary, so off sort of in the back, like at the bottom of that little spiral staircase that they come down is Siler with Martin Wood in his cameos, his like just random SGC staff member that he does. Oh. And according to Martin, every time Amanda came down the stairs, she grabbed Martin's butt. <laughs> <laughs> like Because she could, I guess. I don't know. Yep. Um, so and, and Martin was very clear to say it wasn't Sam. It was Amanda. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> because um, Major Carter would never do that. No, she wouldn't. Of course not. She would not. No. So they think the incoming wormhole might be Tilk because, you know, he's been off word on Chulak. But no, it's the Tok'ra. And it's not an actual Tok'ra coming to visit. It's just a transmission from them. And, well, it looks like Jacob's little vacay is over. Boo. So in Daniel's office, the transmission from the Tok'ra is the recording of a call between Harrower and Apophis who are planning to meet. Currently, Harrower sort of stands against Apophis along with the other system lords. But if these two guys like team up, bad news. Although Jack's like, is it really that bad if we like let these guys take out all of the other ghouls? And it's like Jacob's kind of like, it, I mean, it's not horrible to get the ghouls to fight amongst themselves but if these two do make an alliance then obviously once that's over Apophis is just going to take out Harrower and then he'll basically control the entire galaxy and have all of the Jaffa under his control and that would be a bad thing that would be a bad thing no good very bad have we I'm pretty sure we've talked about this Mm -hmm. at length multiple times we just know that I don't remember anything but <laughs> have we talked about before of like if people when you present them I, specifically the Jaffa that still believe in the gods mm-hmm. when you present to them these are false gods and they're like no they're not they never die gods don't die and then why do they then go along with the ghouls being at war with each other and trying to kill each other if gods don't die. I don't actually, I don't know if we've talked about that aspect of it specifically. Um, I wonder if it's more of the Jaffa think the other gods are being conquered in the sense of being then made subservient to whoever it is that conquers them rather than being killed. Because that 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 has been talked about in a show where that does happen, where like a ghouled will come in, conquer a planet, and whatever ghouled ruled that planet is now sort of a sub ghouled to the main guy who like uh-huh. conquered them on that planet. Or punished so, and imprisoned in some sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Mm, all right, I will go along with that because I definitely okay. can see how you would tell people that and be like, no, I've imprisoned him for a thousand years in this cave. Yes. Oops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll g- okay. I can dig that. Okay. So basically, SG1 and Jacob decide that they need to try and sabotage whatever this meeting is. Uh, Selmak comes out and pulls up some strange symbols on the computer from, I guess, that were part of that transmission and asks Daniel if he knows what they are. And he's like, maybe they kind of look Phoenician. 
Um, so the Phoenicians have been brought up before on the show briefly. Uh, the people from the episode Korai, where like Tilka put on trial, they were apparently referenced as being descended from the Phoenicians. Mm, Um, But if you'd like a little refresher, I did re-research the Phoenicians a little bit for context, if you would like. Oh, yes, please. Okay. So the Phoenician civilization lasted from about 1500 to 300 BC around the Eastern Mediterranean. All of the major cities were very much like independent from each other. And there was more a sort of confederation of like traders and the populations rather than one sort of unified country if you will, as I hit my microphone, sorry. Um, The interesting thing is, I don't think I looked this up, found this information before, but the term Phoenician didn't actually come into being as to how to reference these people until the first millennium BC from Greek. Uh, It may be derived from the term Phoenix, which is a sort of reddish purple color because apparently the Phoenicians were very well known for their purple dye for like cloth and stuff. Uh, and we actually have no idea what they called themselves, but it may have been Canaanite because they're from that region where like Canaan was. So hmm, interesting. So there you go. That was a little bit about the Phoenicians. Thank um, you for the refresh. You're welcome. So uh, this text that Daniel's looking at, the Tokra think it's a technical manual, but none of them have been able to translate it. So Daniel goes to pull some books while the others keep talking about the possible sabotage attempt. And Daniel's like, ah, I think I got it. It says three to the blue, four to the orange, and three to the blue, which is a very (laughs) strange combination of words, uh, but is possibly some kind of color-coded combination lock thing. Uh, So, hey, that's awesome. So, And shout out to Daniel for Jacob bringing this up and being like, Daniel, can you do this? None of our linguists have ever been able to translate it. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Two minutes later, got it. (laughs) They do actually talk about that in the commentary, how because it is a TV show and they only have so much time, something that would should, should probably realistically take Daniel a day or two or three to figure out, yeah, just takes two minutes just because that is just all the time they have it's to tell great. the story. But so I love it so much, especially since Jacob <laughs> emphasizes none of our people have ever been able to do this before. And he's like, wait, wait. Yep. Got it. Blue. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yes, but it is acknowledged by the powers that be that it is a weird yeah. thing, but it's just what they have to do. We're just going to take it as an awesome Daniel flex. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> My brain did it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So cool. That means Daniel's going to go with Selmac and Jack's like, hey, no, stop. I want to know every detail of this plan right now before we leave. Jack's had enough of this. We'll tell you on the way bullshit that the Toker have been pulling forever. And Jacob's like, yeah, of course I'm going to tell you the plan. Of course, Jack. Yes. Um, and uh, another interesting thing that they bring up in the commentary sort of specifically in this scene is that uh, Jacob and Selmak is one of the few Tok'ra ghoul that like switches back and forth the most between who's speaking, whether it's Jacob or Selmak speaking. And they sort of reason it because Jacob is from Earth. He often sort of acts as an interpreter, quote unquote, for Selmak, which is really interesting because from what we know after blending, each entity, so like 
Jacob gains all of Selmak's knowledge and Selmak gains all of Jacob's knowledge. So it's then it's then interesting that it becomes a very sort of conscious decision on Jacob's part as far as when to be Jacob and when to let Selmak speak as Selmak rather than just Jacob speaking from Selmak's memories, if you will. Hmm. I think is really interesting. Or Selmak knowing how to properly communicate. Pos- yeah. Through Jacob. Yeah. Or I wonder if it's maybe sort of Selmak being like, this is very old knowledge. Let me be the one to talk about it because this is really, yeah, actual and sort of a, a an air of authority possibly mm. that Selmak might have over Jacob in certain situations. Interesting. But yeah, I thought mm. that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So up in the briefing room, they're filling General Hammond in on the plan. The meeting is going to take place in this giant minefield in space that was left behind by the Tobin civilization. And I'm very happy they talked about this in the commentary because I was driving myself nuts trying to figure out if the Tobin civilization was an actual real like Phoenician civilization. And it's not. The Tobin civilization is named after a member of the art department, Nolene Tobin. Ah, So, uh, but the Tobin civilization is long extinct, but they left behind this giant minefield around their planet. And the cool thing that these mines do is latch onto energy signatures. So if anybody starts firing weapons at anyone else, the mines will sort of target that person and then just blow them up. So the plan is to grab one of those mines and reprogram it now that... Daniel can help with reading that manual that they have so that it will target Apophis's ship based on a signal that will be planted by a Toker operative on board the ship. Uh, Apophis will think Herwer had something to do with it and then attack Herwer. And one of the issues they need to deal with in addition to the translation stuff is the fact that these mines aren't just sitting statically in space. They kind of randomly move about in space in a very random pattern. So Jacob will have to be very, very careful and precise with moving the ship with the motion of the mine that's in the ship and also all of the mines that are outside the ship. So very video gamey. It is quite video gamey, yeah. So uh, Daniel and Sam will be going in Jacob's cargo ship to help with all like the technical aspects of things and um <clears throat> yeah jack jack is just the fun to have have along on missions <laughs> uh, yeah mm-hmm. but i mean he does come in handy so it's a good thing they brought jack with them yes yes yeah. indeed so we cut back to tilk who is being dragged into a prison cell of some kind by Ragnar and another jaffa and then chained up to the ceiling and they talk about how christopher judge hung from the ceiling for two days like he no. is just oh. hanging like the the like they they film they block filmed you know all of these scenes with tilk and he really is just hanging there for you know i mean not constantly for two days but like when you see chris judge hanging there like there's no he's, wires he's hanging hanging, there. yeah there's like no oh. wires supporting him or anything he's just holding himself up so oh man yeah, when we get to the end, like, and you see, like, how Tilk looks in pain, that's just Christopher Judge actually being in pain for, like, his shoulders and stuff. Because I mean, I have to think that was his 
decision to do that, though, because yeah. I'm pretty sure they would have asked him, you okay with this? We could get you, you know, some sort of support or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. But... I'm going to go ahead and assume that they didn't make him do it. He he was probably more like, I'm method. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's very possible. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I They didn't say whose decision it was, but. Yeah, I could I could see that being something Chris would like to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm gonna get tortured. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> um, so then in comes Turok, who is a ghoul, which is interesting. And uh, Turok is going to be Tilk's torturer for the, his the duration of his stay here. Uh, <laughs> Hello, I will be your torturer for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he starts, you know, doing like the gloating thing about how he'll be around long after Tilk is gone and his tears will be recorded to show Al Jaffa just how weak Tilk really is. And Tilk postures back and is like hit with the pain stick some more for good measure. And uh, one of the things they talked about in the commentary is uh, this actor, Paul Coslo. He unfortunately passed away back in 2019 due to cancer. Um, but he like had a career as just like, being the bad guy in so many like 80s and 90s shows like the a-team and macgyver and like all of this stuff and you know they do they do rehearsals for scenes like this because there is a lot of physicality to it and they you know talked over what was going to happen but then when they came to film and he walks in and before he even says anything he like sticks that pain stick on tilk that was not rehearsed that oh. was him just like making a decision when they said roll film and Chris went with it and reacted how Tilk would have and stuff. <gasps> and uh, he apparently also completely terrified everybody during the audition. Like he was just so scary as basically a no brainer to cast him. But then once the audition was over, he just like completely dropped him. and was like, was that good? Did I do it? Is it, is it is, like, was that what yay. you wanted? Like, yay. Like, you know. <laughs> So Thanks, he, once that happened, they were like, it's it, yeah, it's up. This is this is this is our guy. So hello. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yay. Yeah. So back in the SGC, we have an amazing one shot here where they're getting ready to go, and we get uh Jack, Jacob, and Sam walking onto the elevator, hitting a button. Obviously, the elevator doesn't actually move because it's just one set. Talk about what's going on. Jack still seems a little unsure that this plan will like actually go the way that they want it to, ending with this like all-out war amongst the Gould. The elevator stops on Daniel's floor. The hallway looks a little different because this is a different floor in the SGC. He's got a ton of books, two large bags filled with stuff. Jack steps out to help and comments just how much stuff there is and why didn't he bring a laptop? And Daniel's like, I thought about that, but I couldn't get Beck's ancient Phoenician symbology on CD at archaeology.com. So yeah. to bring all his books. Then one of my all-time favorite moments that is in like every fan video ever made, where Jack just reaches up and puts Daniel's glasses like back up on back his on nose. His <laughs> you see Jacob and Sam look at each other like that interesting but anyway <laughs> it's adorable and i love it and it's great and yeah it was fun yeah fun cute friend intimacy yes mm. which i started thinking about that because you know the whole jack sam stuff and i don't know why you know shower thoughts as you have them like i wonder if it's because daniel is not military that Jack feels like he can maybe be a little more affectionate with him, even if it doesn't really mean anything. And 
I suppose the argument could be made that Daniel's under his command, but not in the same way that Sam is because Daniel's not military. So Daniel could basically tell Jack to go screw himself and that would be fine. And if there's just not having that wall of there are specific regulations you must follow as members of the military. Right. All the military protocol stuff. You know, that's a good point. That could very well be. Yeah. And why those two are more, I say intimately affectionate, but, you know, like in a friend sort of loving sort of way. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that was just yeah random shower thought this morning. So <laughs> I, I enjoy your shower thoughts. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I'll try and remember more of them as I have them. <laughs> okay. So um, out on the airfield runway, Jacob decloaks his cargo ship. And inside, it looks a little different because, well, he had the bulkhead removed, which is that wall that's between like the, car- the cockpit and the cargo hold. Uh, because they're going to need room for the mine when they beam it on board. And Daniel points out that uh, that means the escape pods are gone too, right? And Jacob's like, yeah, but if the mine explodes, you know, escape pods aren't going to do any good. Right. Because they're just going to be exploded. Yep. Yep. Uh, We have a time. Just another Tuesday. Just another bomb exploding. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Uh, so flying through hyperspace and we get Daniel and Sam reading through his books and Jack is, uh, Jack is bored and uh, he makes that comment to Sam, do you understand any of that? And she goes, it's all Phoenician to me, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Back with Tilk, it's just him and Ragnar for a moment who urges Tilk to drink some water and he swears on his father's life that it is just water and we learn here we learn here that there is kind of a history between Tilk and Ragnar a bit, uh, in that Tilk actually spared his father's life after Paphis ordered his father to be killed. After Tilk's defection, then his father sided with Braytak and burned the mark off Ragnar's forehead. So now we know why his Jaffa symbol's gone. Ragnar then goes on to say that everything his father believed and went along with thanks to Braytak is blasphemy and his father is dead now because after Apophis returned from Natu with Sokar, he went and just sort of like laid waste to Chulak apparently and Ragnar's whole family is dead. And so Ragnar is once more on the side of believing the ghouls to be true gods. You know what I actually find very interesting about this episode, <laughs> which I liked was that you know in in recent Gould episodes it was it was mostly like I'm an all-powerful god you will obey me because I'm an all-powerful god I really liked how in this one they brought it back to the religion aspect of no no you have to redeem your soul here and this is all about this is all about eternal damnation and you know penance and and saving your soul I yeah thought, I thought that was really interesting yes yeah that yeah that comes up a little bit later with Tarak and 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 Tilk in one of their torture scenes um but here Tarak comes back in tells Tilk to listen to Ragnar because no one is coming to save him not even Braytak because apparently Tarak has killed Braytak <gasps> which I'm sorry what like what? that can't that that can't happen off screen. What are you talking about? Like, I'm very Big confused. News. Yeah. Uh, Trock then thrusts the pain stick into Tilk's symbiote pouch and pardon my language, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like holy shit, this is yeah. oh 
this lots is of pain. very, very much lots of pain. Um, but also none of the powers that be can explain why light emanates out of your mouth and eyes when you get hit with a pain stick. It just looks, <laughs> it just looks cool. There is no reasoning behind it. It just looks cool. <laughs> well, it's kind of the, the same thing of, of why we made up that your eyes glow as a gould, just because why not? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like it. I, I mean, it does look cool. So I like, yeah. I'm not mad at it. I don't care that there's no reason for it. It does just look cool. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. So SG-1 and Jacob have reached the Tobin system and there's just like hundreds and thousands of mines around the planet. Um, one of the things like uh, Jim and R. James Tishner bring up is they feel like they had some difficulty really sort of with perspective and depth of field with this space stuff with sort of like how big the minds actually are, how they are in relation to each other. And for me as the viewer, I didn't really have any issues with any of that stuff. Did you, or did it all work for you? Um, I didn't, I mean, unfortunately I didn't really pay that close attention to wonder like, is that how big they are or, um, I think the only thing that I would have really thought about is, is how far Jacob had to keep the spaceship away from the other mines as he was doing his navigating. Mm -hmm. But, but no, I didn't, I didn't find any problems with it myself. Okay. I mean, I would think that the fact that you didn't notice it means that it was all good because then there was was nothing. Yeah. Then, so there was nothing wonky to be like, that looks weird. Or I just flat out don't pay enough attention. (laughs) Or that. Both both are very likely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For all of those things, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jacob puts on this like heads up display to help him with piloting the ship while the mine is on board and all the stuff that he has to like keep track of in the situation. So they get the ship in place. And I do find it interesting that he flies like into the minefield a little way rather than just taking one that's like out on the edge <laughs> and is not in the middle of the minefield. I did find that a little interesting. I think as soon as it's on board, you have to follow where it's going. Right. But still, they did. They flew into the minefield a ways before they even picked a mine up. Like, rather than oh, picking up one that was Just on, like the, on edge. the outskirts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Yeah. It may be because of the plan later and getting the mine to attack Apophis' ship. If there's a proximity thing they need to keep in mind, maybe. I don't know. But They don't, don't want it to hit other mines. I right. Think. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so Sam activates the ring. The mine is on board. And so Sam starts getting equipment ready. And Daniel walks around the mine to take a look at it and eventually just says, uh-oh. And uh, it's not that he doesn't recognize the symbols that are on the mine. It's that there are no symbols. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting. It. A uh, quick cut back to Tilk, who is still getting tortured, and Tilk has now, or Tarok has now brought out the hand device to go along with the pain stick. And here's that scene we were talking about where, like, he's not torturing Tilk just to torture him. He's doing this to try and save Tilk's soul so that he will once again admit that the ghouls are God, his soul will be saved. And yet, Tilk's not doing that. And yeah, like, as you said, it's, it's interesting that the ghoul and Jaffa have this concept of like sin and a soul and having to repent and all of that stuff that seems very Judeo-Christian in nature. Right. Is, is something I, 
Well, I mean, I guess the Egyptians did have sin, you know, with the whole weighing of the heart thing. But I don't know if it's just the way he's saying it seems more modern than what the Gould are. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, maybe it was just that one Gould that decided to interpret his persona as such. Possibly. I still found it found it interesting that they Yeah. That so often they had brought the other thing of like you should obey me because I'm all powerful. Yeah. And, and someone's bringing it back of like no no. I am a god. This is religion. I'm caring about yeah. your soul here. I care about you. Yes. Yeah. It is very interesting for sure. And uh, yeah, a definite change from past episodes. Yeah. Mhm. So SG-1 is still trying to get the mine open and Jacob suggests looking underneath and ah, there it is. And you can kind of see on the bottom of the mine seems to be sort of divided into like four segments with like sort of at the center where the four points meet. There's a small circle with with like a cross cut through it. And uh, Jacob's like, I think you have to touch it. And she's like, I have to do what? Uh, And Daniel's like, "Uh, yes, touch it. That's yes, that's what you need to do. So Sam very, very slowly starts to reach toward it. And Daniel's like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And he's like, ah, it's like, oh, no, sorry. Yes, yes, that that's it. Touch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, this episode is so tense. It really is. Um, so Sam touches it and those four panels kind of open, kind of like orange segments. I don't know, kind of like an orange peel being opened. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this beeping noise and we see flashing lights inside and it seems that those lights correspond to the various frequencies that the mine will be attracted to. So they basically need to clear out what is currently programmed and then input the frequency that they want. So it will go and attack Apophis's ship. Back what could t- go wrong? <laughs> um, so many things, so many things <laughs> could go Uh, Back with Tilk, he's doing his best to convince Ragnar of what the Gould really are and doing his usual Tilk thing. But this time he gets to add in that he's been to the Gould homeworld and has seen the swamps from which they ventured forth and stuff. Because that's new since last time Tilk had to give this speech. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ragnar is just like, lies! And Tilk's like, I don't lie. Why would I lie? And, you know, that whole thing. Yep. So Sam and Daniel are working on the mine. They figure out which way is blue, which way is orange. And things are going okay there. But then things start to get a little hairy outside because mines start moving closer towards the ship. So Jacob has to move the ship away from those mines. But like the mine that's in the ship isn't moving. So as Jacob's moving the ship, the mine that's inside starts getting like close to the floor. Daniel ducks out of the way. Jack has to kind of like pull Sam so she can get like smushed by the mine. And then the mine kind of gets close to like almost hitting one of like the support structures. And oh my God, Jacob, ah, this is <laughs> They have that little meter on like where the mine is on the ship, right? And yeah. like the, the green or red. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The heads up which, display thing is. Yeah. Which is convenient to yes. have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but for a spur of the moment mission <laughs> I, yeah they they often have a lot of stuff just ready to go and then i have no idea that they're gonna need it in like two <laughs> seconds <laughs> yeah. yes anyway. um but okay everything's back and clear everything's back in place 
cool, God, that was close. But Jacob, though, needs to cloak the ship now because Apophis is here. Sam and Daniel get back to work, and uh, uh-oh, it's flashing green. And uh, green is bad in this case. It's very bad. Like, mm-hmm. it's like this this warning, this mine is going to explode. Kind of bad. So uh, Jacob passes the controls to Jack, so he and Summit can go help, and Jack can pilot the ship. Um, and so they have, like, five minutes, maybe, and then it's going to explode, and... They can't like release the mine too soon or the plan is blown and they ask for Selmac's help and Selmac is just like, try again. Like, that's not helpful, Selmac. Like, <laughs> duh, try again. But how? What? Um, but there is a very quick cut during this very stressful situation with, oh my God, the mine's going to explode where Jack is in the pilot seat and he's like swatting at the mines like outside. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just like, go away. <laughs> that is just funny. Yeah. Uh, um, we then have a very quick cut to Tilk being dragged out of his prison cell to somewhere else. And, hey, Hairwer is here now. Uh, oh, so finally. everybody's here. Time for this little meeting to begin. And uh, Jacob is tapped into their conversation and tells SG-1 what's going on. And Hairwer is offering to help Apophis in battle against the other system lords. In exchange, Hairwer would like to keep what is currently his, and then take over Cronus's, like, territory. Uh, and also, Hairwer has brought a gift for Apophis as a show of loyalty. Hey, so guess where Tilk has been this whole time? He's on oh Hairwer's ship! He's definitely at Jack's, like, apparently he's not on Chulak anymore. Which, this is interesting, because if Tilk is on Hairwer's ship, this means that Rachnor is working for Hairwer, not Apophis, even though he's from Chulak and should be loyal to Apophis. But then again, Apophis killed his whole family, so I guess he defected to Harrower. That sounds because better. Because of that? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I love the, the reveal that Jacob gives to the rest of the crowd. Yes. Yes. He's just, just like, tone. just like, it's Tilk. Fuck. With the, with the sigh and the head bowed. <laughs> this is a very big wrench that has just been thrown into their plans. Mm-hmm. Very, th- this is like Siler's big wrench-sized wrench. Yes, yes. Yes. So Apophis is going to think it over. Meanwhile, Sam and Daniel are not having any luck. They're running out of time. And Daniel's like, I know I translated this right. I know it didn't. He kind of like flips some pages and kind of like shows, shows it to Sam. And he's like, this is one, this is two. And Sam's like, what about zero? And he's like, the Phoenicians don't have zero. And they're like, well, with this kind of technology, you would need a zero. And Dan's like, what? Why? And she's like, it, it's the math thing. Just trust me. So apparently Daniel has been off by one this whole time. Okay. okay. So let's try two to the blue, three to the orange, two to the blue. Oh, my God. That's it. Phew. Yay. We got it. Now time to program in. The Apophis frequency. Yay! We get Tilk dragged back to a cell where Tarak once again tries to get Tilk to yield. Of course, Tilk will not. So Jack, of course, wants to rescue Tilk, but Jacob's like, we we can't. There's more at stake here than Tilk's life. Like, Jacob understands how important Tilk is, what he means, but also enough Tokara operative lives have already been lost and there's more on those ships, too. So, sorry we can't rescue Tilk. 
And this seems very, very odd to me for Jacob to be the one to say this. Yes. Because, of course, the American military philosophy is no man left behind, which is Mm -hmm. Jacob, obviously. And the last time we saw Jacob in the other episode for, what was it? What was it called? Tangent. Tangent, where, like, the entire thing was just that they show up and they're like, we need help. And Jacob's like, say no more. I'm going to abandon my entire mission and I will go help you at a moment's notice. Say no more. And, like, and now. (laughs) Yeah. And now he's like, we can't. It's for the greater good. Yeah. It was. It's. It was a very Tokra thing of Jacob to say, and I found it odd. So if Selmak had said it, would it have worked better for you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Sam and Daniel are done. The mine has been reprogrammed. So they ring the mine back out into space and nothing happens. And Jacob's like, well, maybe the joke on board the ship has been sort of compromised. Maybe they were discovered or almost discovered or something. And I'm thinking, or maybe it's been two seconds and the undercover Toker doesn't know he has to do his thing yet. Like, mm. did they, like, did they work out? So they have to reprogram the mine and then they need an undercover Toker to do something on board one of the ships. Did they work out the timing of that? Because again, they released the mine. It's been two seconds. <laughs> I'm like, why are they worried that nothing is happening yet? It's been two seconds. Give it some time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then Daniel's like, maybe we didn't do it right. No, 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 no. We did it right. It's fine. We totally did it right. So yeah, you know, we're okay. cool. Yeah. Yep. So uh, uh, we're on Harrower's ship and Apophis calls him back and agrees to Harrower's proposal. So the Alliance is a go. Uh, Sam speaks up then about rescuing Tilk and how Tilk saved Jacob's life on Natu and all of that. Basically kind of like you owe him one, although he did just save his life in tangent. So maybe, I don't know. But anyway, um, Daniel then asks how Harewer would get Tilk over to Apophis. And Jacob's like, well, he, you know, used the rings. And then they're like, okay, so we can do the same thing to Tilk that Tilk did for us on, like, the NATO mission where they just go and intercept the, like, the beam of the ring transporter. Which the tricky thing is they have to be uncloaked to do that. So that would be some very tricky flying that they would have to do. And Jack's like, Jacob, here you go. Please take back control of your ship. So... Mm -hmm. Please I do guess, the thing. I guess they're going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, Raktor now is still trying to get Tilk to give in because Tilk has to know how bad things will get once they hand him over to Apophis. And Tilk's like, yeah, I know. It's going to be terrible. But I'm never going to admit the ghouls are gods again because I know the truth. And they're not. So mm-hmm. this is not happening. So Turok comes in with another guard because it's time to send Tilk over to Apophis. Tilk, of course, starts fighting back. Turok fires the ribbon device and kind of takes both Tilk and that other guard down. Turok then goes in and, like, really blasts Tilk with the ribbon device in the head. Ragnar yells, it's too much, like you're killing him. But Turok wants to see Tilk die at least once. So Ragnar stabs Turok in the neck with the pain stick. Oop. So, <gasps> mm, Man. Uh-oh. It's getting real now. It is. It's getting so real. So uh, the rings between the motherships activate. Jacob flies into position, uncloaked. Unfortunately, they miss. And one of the Jaffa on Harewer's ship tells him about what happened because he can see the cargo ship. And Harewer is not happy with that news. Then 
a Jaffa, quote unquote, on Apophis's ship presses a button on his wrist guard. So this is the undercover Tok'ra, and we see the mine finally start making its way towards Apophis's ship. Uh, some Jaffa dragged Tarak into Apophis. So Tarak was who was in the beam from the ring transporter, not Tilk. So it's, it's apparently actually kind of a good thing that they missed. Surprise! Surprise! So the mine makes it to Apophis's ship, blows up as expected, and he's like, Hair attacks! And Hair pops back up on screen, and Apophis is like, How dare you? And, and like, Why did you send me Truck? Where's Tilk? And Hair was like, It's not me. Something else. There's some kind of sabotage going on, and blah, blah, blah. Things are afoot at the Circle K. Oh, yes, very much. Uh, so Jack tries to insist that they go back for Tilk, but what can they do? And they're like, We gotta do something. And then a whole bunch of other motherships uncloak around Apophis's big giant ass mothership. And Jacob's like, well, that's, that's new. The ghoul usually can't cloak motherships. So <laughs> I love how he says it really calmly too, of like, that's impossible. Instead yeah. of, instead of just being like, holy crap. Yeah. Just like like well, eight new. motherships just showed up. Are you seeing this? You guys. Yeah. Yup. He's just kind of like, oh, Oh, that's new. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So Apophis fires on Harewer, but we do see a glider that manages to escape from Harewer's ship before it explodes. The mines then, of course, start heading towards Apophis's ship since he fired that weapon. But all of the smaller motherships are sort of surrounding Apophis to protect him. SG-1 and Jacob think that that glider is Hayrwer and they can't let him escape. So Jacob calls out over the radio in Gould asking which god they worship. And whoever is flying the ship answers with the Tok'ra password. And Jacob's like, mm, I'm Jacob Carter. Who are you? What's going on? And hey, it's Ragnar. He helped Tilk escape. So Tilk is fine. He speaks up like, yeah, it's me. I'm here. We're safe. So, oh my god. Yay. Yay. Tilk is fine. And Jacob tells them to rendezvous at the third moon of Tichner, named after visual effects supervisor James Tichner. (laughs) I see your face expecting me to know things. (laughs) The guy I said who was on the commentary, visual effects supervisor James Tichner. So got it. Good. Everybody's fine. Uh, So... They stopped the Alliance, but in the worst possible way, because there's no war with, you know, all the Gould and Apophis now has control of Harrower's fleet. So, shit. The end. I see this as a very Asgardian ending. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here's my question of, oops, (laughs) oops, we did the exact wrong thing. Okay, so... Here's my question to you, because I saw this on a couple like message boards of, you know, people leaving feedback on this episode about how this could have been a good opportunity to have Apophis actually finally be taken out. And then we would get sort of who were as like the new bad guy, because just Apophis has died and come back and died and come back so much at this point. It's a little bit like, can we like do something about Apophis? Because like we think we get rid of him and then he just comes back and it's kind of annoying at this point. So, I don't know, what, if, do you think it would have worked if it, something had happened and Harewer had managed to take out Apophis instead and Apophis was actually really, really, for, for sure, dead, dead? 
at this point. And we had sort of hair were taking over for Apophis. I don't get. So they would have just like done nothing and, and let Harrower's fleet just show up and do their thing. Yeah. Like if, 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 if something had happened and Harrower had managed to take out Apophis, like say Apophis didn't have, you know, eight motherships to protect him and Harrower did instead or something where just the ending was the other way around. I mean, I think that could have been interesting with like a new ghoul that we have we hadn't really seen before. But like, I don't know, Harrower just does not have the charisma. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I, I'll, so, I'll give you that. Yeah. Situationally speaking, yes, that would have been a very interesting storyline. But I don't. I would not have enjoyed it if it was Harrower. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um. So that's the end. Uh. Do you have any memos? For this week. I do. Because really, the only thing that stuck out to me is funny was the, uh, the end with the combination and, and the math and the zero scene with Sam and Daniel. So my, my memo would just be like, have everybody read the manual or at least work on it together because... Like, it seems like Daniel is doing the, the translation separately from Sam also trying to read the material. And if they kind of were figuring it out together, I feel like that situation would not have happened. Yeah. Like, maybe Daniel sort of gets one section of it done and, like, kind of, this is what I have. Sam, does this make sense to you? Kind of does from this a, mathematically technical... make sense to you? Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing that really stuck out to me is, like, ah, that could have been avoided with a memo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so the episode title is The Serpent's Venom, which I don't, like, you know, again, Serpent, Apophis, that makes sense. But the Venom, I'm not really sure if the Venom is just, uh, you know, him actually, like, taking out Harrower and just, you know, sort of just the strength of Apophis's army is sort of his Venom, quote unquote, at this point. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, yeah, maybe it was trying to be more like Serpent's Wrath. I don't know. Yep, yeah, no, I got nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Um, we did have some interesting foreign territory titles this week. Uh, in Italian, it was the Dissolved Alliance. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, in Czech, it was the Serpent's Hatred. Mm. That kind of made me worry a little more. Uh, and in German, we have the Impeded Alliance. Ah. So, yeah. So when I think of Serpent's Venom, that's kind of leading me to, like, Serpent's Poison, right? So maybe yeah. is like, poison slash corruption. Maybe going in that direction with it. Maybe. That's all I got. Okay. Okay, so one of the things that had got brought up last week was the fact that they're they're both on the commentary and on a website seem to reference that last week's episode the curse and this week um were originally meant to be in the other order so like this was supposed to air before the curse um now that we have talked about this episode what do you think do you think it would have really mattered at all there was there was one thing i noticed that might have made a little more sense to swap the episodes. 
I think it way it, I think it would have made way more sense to swap them. It seemed like they were supposed to be that way because that would explain also why Jacob was on yes. leave on Earth still. Yes, that was that was my big thing of yeah, kind of having the curse in between sort of takes a weird chunk of so where was Jacob then during the curse if he's been here mm-hmm. the whole time after the after the events of Tangent. Right. And then for the curse you know, it would make sense that Teal'c would be recovering and oh, yeah. on leave and... Because he and, wasn't, like, around, really. And more apt to go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... so yeah. I, situationally, I I think switched, swapping them around would have made way more sense. Okay. Does it not make sense? having them in the order that they are or does it still work okay but the other order may have been just better like they like they're fine in the order they're in but switching them would just be better we think well i mean they obviously the the long storylines do take you through a big arc of a show but like episode to episode they don't they haven't really been carrying through like the small details of like Mm -hmm. oh this person got injured in this episode they're still recovering in this episode yeah they haven't really done a lot of that to make this order seem odd okay yeah so yeah i think i mean it's it's fine the way they went but it would have made more sense the other way around Mm -hmm. in my opinion yeah it does make me wonder if maybe there was anything in the curse that referenced well, we got rid of Apophis, but now we have Osiris to deal with. If there was maybe anything there that sort of referenced, we got rid of one ghoul, but now there's another one back. So we're kind of back at even Stevens a bit, if you will, as mm. far as ghouled who are in play. Mm. Yeah. I don't recall. Maybe. Yeah, no. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, we have an email. We, actually we had, do. We had it last week and I totally forgot. So we're getting to it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> late. Sorry. I'm not the only one that forgets. No. Um, so this is actually uh, about the episode Beneath the Surface. Okay. Um, I believe this is from... Oh, no. He's written in before. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, our friend Harry. He's written in a couple times before. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So, again, about Beneath the Surface. He says, just a few of my thoughts on Season 4, Episode 10, Beneath the Surface. You both were discussing what the rest of the society on that planet might be like and why they didn't just tell the boiler room slaves the truth and pay them a decent wage. This made me think about Administrator Calder and how happy he was to memory stamp SG-1. If he is so comfortable with brainwashed slaves in the boiler room, then why wouldn't he and others in power be just as comfortable memory stamping other blue-collar workers? After all, wouldn't a janitor be less likely to go on strike or ask for improved working conditions if that janitor had a memory stamp every few years. How far would Calder go in order to remain in charge? Perhaps why there is no that perhaps that's why there is no unemployment. I personally feel that this episode isn't about what makes sense for society struggling to survive an ice age. Instead, I think it's about how the ruling class can view the working class, how they could think that the working class need to be controlled in order to support the ruling class's lifestyle. I think that Administrator Calder is an excellent example of a very selfish, very selfish person who needs to be in absolute control of everything. Please keep up with the fantastic podcast work. I'm looking forward to seeing what you both think of what happens after season eight of SG-1 concludes. Harry. Cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, so he's saying that not it's not just the boiler workers 
that got stamped. It's like anybody with a quote-unquote job. Um, if he's so comfortable with brainwashed slaves in the boiler room, then why wouldn't he and the other? Oh, yeah. So like the other people up on the surface may with have also jobs. been memory stamped. Oh, oh that's right? interesting. I like so it. The pe- so the people on top don't know that there's like the workers underground then, possibly. Except maybe those that like absolutely need to know that there's people down there. Right. That's interesting. I don't think I ever thought about it like that. That's a very cool idea. That is a very cool idea. Yeah. I like it, Harry. Yeah. Thanks. That's a very cool theory. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely would also kind of explain why there's no opposition to that guy. If he's just like, let me show you this Hmm. fun training video I've just put together. (laughs) You think I'm doing a bad job? Can I invite you for dinner? Let me try and change your mind. (laughs) Then I will literally change your mind. Uh. (laughs) So instead of just trying to change people's minds, he's literally changing people's minds. Oh, I think you might be onto something. You might be. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. All right. I very much like that. I like your thinking. Well done, Harry. Mm -hmm. Yes. Bravo. Thank you. Please send in more thoughts and theories. We we appreciate all of them. Mm And uh, if you would like to write in, if you have your own thought, theory, feedback on anything, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Chain Reaction. Bye. Bye. Bye.